0: Our text for today comes from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 10. As you come to him, the living stone rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Elementary kiddos, meet me at the back door, and we will go partay.
1: All right. We'll give those kids a second to get uh, outside. My goodness, outside church. Just a brief update before we get started today uh, on our kids space. Everything's going wonderfully. It's going swimmingly. Uh, The Some electricians were in this week, and some contractors were in, and we're gonna get. uh, Hopefully, in the next couple of weeks, that space will be ready to go uh, for our kiddos. We're really excited to have a really great uh, space for our kids. Um, So, thank you to all of you who've given throughout the years, uh, the year to make that possible. It's been wonderful. All right, all right. So, one of my favorite ways to begin a message is to quote objure, obscure German Bible scholars who none of you have ever heard of, right? This is, a, this is the best possible way to kick off uh, a message. Uh, so, that being the case, Gerhard Lofink, Lofink? I don't know how to spell that. once said this, a king without a people is no king at all, but a figure in a museum. Uh, Lofink gets at an idea here that I think is incredibly important for every one of us who follows Jesus to really get into our hearts and minds. It's very important that we understand this. God's plan, his mission in the world, is to save, to redeem, and restore humanity and the world, and that mission happens through people, normal people, right? Normal people just like you and me. Short people, tall people. I'm just going to list all the different body types. (laughs) Pear-shaped people, I don't know. Uh, Broken people, normal people, everyday people just like you and me. People with jobs, people without jobs, people in college, people in school, right? God, right at this very moment, think about this, right at this very moment is building his kingdom through people. And the invitation of the scriptures is for all of us, you and me as individuals, but all of us collectively, corporately, to be a part of that process. We are in a series right now that we're calling uh, Living the Kingdom. And today we want to talk about this idea that the kingdom of God is people, the kingdom of God is people. It's, it's more than people, right? The kingdom of God is a little bit more than people, but without people, there is no expression of the kingdom of God in the world, not in the way that God wants it to be the case. And it, we're going to explore today why, if you want to be a part of what God is doing in the world, we have to, you, you and I have to get our minds around this idea that the kingdom of God is expressed, is lived out, is advanced through people, broken people. Turns out Gerhard is right. It is impossible to have a kingdom without people in it, isn't it? in order to be a king, you need to be a king over something. You must have subjects. A king without a people is just a kind of historical figure. But the opposite is also true. A people without a king are not a people, right? A people without, uh, without a rule over top of them are just like a random assortment of individuals. They're not a people. They're not unified. Now, Here's the thing. From the very beginning of the story of the Bible, we see this deep desire in the heart of God to work through people to accomplish God's mission, His purpose in the world. If you you think back with me to the creation story, we see this very, very clearly. God creates the raw material of the earth, and then out of the raw material of the earth, He creates humanity. God forms Adam and Eve out of the clay and breathes life into them. He animates them. He gives them this life, and he tells them, take dominion. If you've read your Bibles, you've probably read that. Take dominion. Now, when God says take dominion, I I don't think we really understand what take dominion means. I don't think we do when we read Take Dominion, I think very men, most of us think about the words like dominate and control, right? So like when God created the earth, He's like, dominate and control this this place, right? Which I don't think is what take Dominion means. Really, if you look at that word, it has a kind of agrarian or agricultural influence or thrust to it. God was saying, create. Do what I do with the raw materials of this earth that I gave to you. He says, cultivate, intend the earth, after he says take dominion, right? Take care of it. In a sense, he's saying, add beauty to the already beautiful world that I have created and given to you, right? God is saying, partner with me in making this thing something different than it is right now, which is fascinating, it's startling that God would do that, and this has massive impl- implications for those of you in the place who are artists or writers, right? has massive implications for architects and farmers and city planners. Basically, it has massive implications for any of us who do any kind of work, that God wants to partner with us in that work to create, to take dominion, to... to not to control or to dominate, but to be a creative force in the world that takes the raw material that God has created and under his leadership, rightly bring it into what he wants it to be. Now, that, to, to partner with God in the kind of creative beautification of the world, it's a startling idea, isn't it? And it's not the total point of this message today. That's just kind of an offshoot. But the point, here's the point. From the very beginning, God sought to do his work through people. God sought to do his work through people. And we see this as the story of the Old Testament continues. Because of sin, God kind of loses touch with humanity, or put a different way, humanity loses touch with God. But God still desires to reconnect with people and to build his kingdom through this God-human partnership. And so what does God then do after he loses touch with Adam and Eve. He calls out to Abraham. And he, here's what God does. God makes Abraham a promise. He says he's going to use Abraham to make him the head of a family or a great nation. Basically, he says to Abraham, "I am going to work in the world through people, and I'm going to start with you, right? And you're going to become a people through whom I'm going to do my work." Or you're going, to, you're going to become a people through whom my character and goodness are reflected out into the world. At least that was the ideal, right? And we see that thread continue to be woven all throughout the Old Testament. One of the places where it is most explicitly restated is when God calls Moses and tells Moses, go and deliver this people that I selected Abraham out. Go deliver this people from their bondage to slavery. He reiterates the same promise to Moses. Here's what he says in Exodus 6, verses 6 through 8. He says, "...therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with a a mighty act of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you up from under the yoke of the Egyptians." I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham to Isaac and to Jacob. I will give to you I I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. Do you hear that kingdom language there? People, nation, land, possession. These are these are kingdom words. You see from the very beginning of the story of the Bible, God wants He doesn't want submissive robots. He doesn't want kind of unwilling slaves. He is looking for a people, and he's doing all of the work, right? All of, notice all the work is on God's end of the ledger, but he's doing all the work to creatively cultivate a people who will partner with him in building his kingdom. This is what he's after. Now, fast forward to our teaching text for today. Peter is carrying these exact same ideas that we, that we read about in the Old Testament, Only Peter is saying that the plan of God to partner with a people has been exploded in a good way. in that it's been made open to to more people. Here's what Peter says. I'm just going to reread this passage. And after you read this passage with a kind of Old Testament lens, it begins to take on more significance. He says, as you come to him, the living stone rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him. You also are living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Uh, Now skip down to verse 8, or excuse me, to the second second half of verse 8. He says, uh, they stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what we were destined for. Here's the point in beginning in verse 9, but you are a chosen people, A royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Hear it again. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Now, set within the context of Peter's letter in 1 Peter here, this means so much. It's really the kind of linchpin of Peter's letter, this, these uh, couple of verses here. But Peter wants to make clear to his audience, who, and just for context, some of his audience were Jewish people, but some of his audience were Gentile people. It, Peter wants to make clear that the doors of the promise that God made to Abraham have been flung wide open because jesus has been crowned king jesus changes everything and now the people of god are not defined here's the shift that's taking place the people of god are no longer defined by nationality right when god reaches out his hand out to abraham he says i'm going to make you a great nation and then abraham's family right people who were who were uh, by blood jewish became the people that god uh selects to reveal to the world who he is to work through right but because Jesus comes and fulfills everything Israel wasn't able to do, because he stands as Israel's representative, but also as a sacrifice for the world's sins, he's able to ascend, the Bible says, to this place of kingship. And now the, what constitutes the people of God is no longer nationality. It's not the blood that runs through your veins. It is rather be collected, being collected around this one person, Jesus. The thing that that makes you a Christian or makes you a kingdom person that makes you a part of the group of people that God wants to work through to build his kingdom is that you and I are collected around the king, right? We say Jesus is Lord, and that's what makes this people a people. But that creates some tension, doesn't it? If you're thinking through this logically, it creates some tension, Because Israel was an actual nation, right? They had borders, they had cities, they had, they had, they occupied lands, they had laws, they had customs, they had culture, right? But Peter is writing to a kingdom of people who at this time are spread throughout the Mediterranean world. They don't have, they don't, they aren't in charge of the cities where they live. They're not in power, they're not... In a specific geographical area, and yet Peter is saying you're a people. You're you're a distinct group of of people. You're one in some sense. You're a a kingdom because you you have um, come to the person of Jesus, because you surround yourself around King Jesus. And this creates tension, because what Peter is saying is that you are a kingdom of God person living everywhere. And the kingdom of God doesn't have a city or a nation or a specific place. It has, say it with me, people, right? It has people. And it is the people of God gathered together who carry out the work, the kingdom of God, who make it manifest in the world, who make it visible, and again, if you, were, if you were the audience of this letter, you would have felt this acutely because your primary identity would have been to a kingdom of God identity. And yet you're living in all of these Roman cities where there are all these laws and cultures and all of these different requirements that are kind of coming at you from the outside. But you know that your highest allegiance is not to the city-state or the nation or the or or the province that you were living in at that particular time, but rather it was to what? The kingdom of God, because that was your first identity. And Peter is saying to this disparate group of people, this, this people who have been kind of scattered out throughout the Mediterranean world, that their primary allegiance, their primary identity is not as a Roman citizen. It's not as he could have been, This letter could have gotten to places where Rome didn't have sway, but primarily, their primary allegiance was not as Roman citizens, but rather as citizens of the kingdom of Jesus, citizens of the kingdom of God. And that had all kinds of ramifications. Peter will go on in his letter to say that you are foreigners, strangers, exiles in the land in which you live. You are, uh, one writer that I like a lot says that it's almost like Peter saying, you are resident aliens. You're resident aliens. You live in this nation, but you belong to another one. It's just that that the nation that you belong to has no borders, right? It has no defined space because the king that you serve owns it all, right? He owns it all. And how this world kind of chop up and divide, right, the land and the, the authority and the culture doesn't matter quite so much as the fact that you belong to the king of it all. It's a powerful reminder. But this created tension in the world. Just FYI, this is why people killed Christians. This was the reason. Because they said... I pledge allegiance to a higher authority than the authority that is over me kind of in the world. And that's why they killed them. That's what the tension was all about. It created an abundant amount of tension to know that that God is not any longer working through a nation. He is working through a people gathered around the person of Jesus. And that is the locus, the primary location of his action in the world is this group of people, not any nation, not any set of laws, not any set of rulers, but rather the people of God gathered around King Jesus. And so Peter, trying to get this idea through the heads of his audience, sets out some markers of what it is that distinguishes the people of God out in culture. So, if the people of God, if kingdom people don't have a country that they belong to, if they don't have uh, even one language, if their skin isn't all the same color, if they don't speak the same language, if they don't have the same opinions about different things, what is it that unifies the people of God, right? There has to be something, because otherwise, why are we a people, why is, why is this transnational, transcultural people of God called a people in the Scriptures if we don't really, on the surface, have anything in common? What is it that makes the people of God the people of God? And Peter says uh, two things here, and then I added a third because I'm, I'm in charge, and I can add stuff if I want from other parts of the Bible. I'm not really in charge, but I'm in charge of this part. I'm only slightly in charge of other parts of my life. All right. So Peter says functionally three things that define kingdom people in the two things that define kingdom people. And I added a third because it's very scriptural and it's from other places. But the first thing Peter says that defines kingdom people is that kingdom people gather. Kingdom people gather. Here's what he says. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Peter says here that kingdom people are like a temple. The people of God are like a place where, are, not are like, are a place where the Spirit of God rests. Yes, this is true, that you and I, the gathered people of God, anywhere the gathered people of God are gathering, are like a temple where the Spirit of God rests. You know, I think in modern American culture, primarily because we're really individualistic, we like to emphasize the fact that each of us individually are a temple of the Holy Spirit. And that's true, it's spoken about in Scripture. But the Scriptures talk far, far more about the fact that it is the people of God together, the gathered people of God that are the temple of God, the receptacle for the presence of God, which is crazy. Jesus said this, right? He said, wherever two or three are gathered, there I am in the midst of them. Jesus was quite clear that the people of God are like, represent a kind of new temple, a holy building, a place where God's spirit rests. We, again, like to speak about this in individual terms, but it, it may, But Peter is quite clear here that the people of God, when gathered together, become a representation to the world of what God is like, kingdom people coming together to acknowledge their king. Uh, and when we gather together, it is both a unique and a special witness to the reality of who God is in the world. Imagine a group of people from different backgrounds with different ideas all coming together to acknowledge a singular and true king. It's a powerful witness. One uh, theologian, a guy named Stanley Hauerwas, says it this way. He says, The church is constituted as a new people who have been gathered from the nations to remind the world that we are, in fact, one people, gathering, therefore, is an eschatological act as it is a foretaste of the unity of the communion of the saints. You see, when we gather together like this, when we gather, we represent to the world The reality that God is gathering all people, seeking that all people would come to King Jesus regardless of where they live or what experiences they've had in their lives, that God is gathering all people, calling all people to gather around the person of Jesus, and that this kingdom that God is building through Christ is the highest and most important reality of our lives. This is why, this is why when Uh, In the early church, one of the primary witnesses to the reality of God in the world was that people from all different cultures, all different languages, all different expressions came and stood under one God, under one king, because it reminded the world of what God is doing when he's breaking open the doors of what it means to belong to God's people. It is a it is a countercultural thing to gather together as the church. It is a powerful witness to the reality of who God is. And so we gather together. We gather together physically in this place. But there's also this thing that the international, the transcultural expression of the kingdom that we call the universal church does when, on one day, usually a week, we all gather together. Simultaneously, right? Well, not simultaneously, depending on your time zone. Uh, but, but we're basically on the Lord's day. We're gathered together as a witness to the reality, as a witness to the reality that, that the world, as it believes that it runs, is not actually how it runs, but rather that there is another king who is setting the world to rights. This is what it means to gather together as a people. Kingdom people gather together. Kingdom people gather together. It's a powerful reminder of that fact. But there's another thing that Kingdom people do that I think uh, Peter points out here, and that's that Kingdom people scatter, run. No, uh, <laughs> that's a horrible thing to say in church. Just FYI, uh, Kingdom people scatter. I said scatter because it rhymes with gather. Because there's some good there's some good rhyming work there. But uh, follow me down to verse 9 of uh, uh, First Peter here, where he, this is what Peter says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. When the church scatters, when we leave the gathering, right, and we go off into our own corners of the world, when we are separated from one another but still a part of the people of God, when we are still king jesus people out in our own little corners of the world we are called to scatter and to be in that place kingdom people as well i quoted Hauerwas a little earlier about this idea uh, he's the one who came up with this idea of resident aliens wherever we go we are supposed to be ambassadors emissaries messengers of the kingdom of god people who reside in the world but belong to another nation and thus submit to a kind of higher law the law of love right the law of all of the stuff that Jesus talks about in the sermon on the mount when the people of god when the people of god witness to king Jesus by living and speaking as people from another kingdom right we shine our light into the darkness of the world When we acknowledge the fact that though we go into our own little corners of the world and that we're not functionally gathered as the people of God, we are called in that place to be what Jesus said was salt and light, right? Examples or witnesses to the kingdom that has been inaugurated in Jesus' death and resurrection, gathered around King Jesus, living as people from another place entirely, as foreigners, strangers, aliens in this world. Not green aliens, you know what I mean, right? We're not getting that weird. So we are called to bring the gospel, the announcement of the kingdom, everywhere we go as we scatter. You know, one of the interesting things about uh, Peter's letter is is it is written to a scattered church. It is written to a church that's experienced persecution. Has, if you read the book of Acts, you realize that, that persecution comes down on the early church and they scatter out into the Roman world, right? They 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 follow the road the Roman road systems and they scatter out into the world. And so Peter is ri- is writing to a scattered people, a people who are living under a, a myriad of different different circumstances, and, and yet in the midst of the difficulty of their lives, displaced from their homes, many of them, scattered, a little confused, possibly enduring persecution at this point. He says they are called to be salt and light, messengers of the kingdom nonetheless, wherever it is that they go. People who are called to bring light where darkness resided prior. Uh, the scholar N.T. Wright, commenting on this idea, says this. He says, gospel is the announcement that everything has changed in the coming of Jesus. And it leads us to a new kind of living. It is a kingdom of God lifestyle with allegiance to a king as the ultimate restorer. We are his workers to reflect the good news and the new way of life in a world that is seeking answers in profoundly short-sighted ways rather than in the way of Jesus. When we go out into the world, we are people, hopefully, who have answers, because we we point to the reality, not because we're smart, not because our lives are perfect, right, but because we point to the person who is King Jesus, and in so doing, we witness, we scatter, and yet we witness to the reality of who God is. You know, one of the primary ways that God has advanced his kingdom in this world is by scattering his people, Right? It is in the going that God very often accomplishes his most powerful works. And so as we go out into our lives and out into our communities as we scatter from the gathering of God's people, we witness in the same way as when we gather to the reality of the fact that we serve a king from an, we serve a king in another kingdom and we don't serve the kingdoms of this world. We don't operate on those systems or structures. And so we live different lives in the midst of the world. It's a powerful to us that even when we scatter, we're called to live as kingdom people. And the third thing I think that people, kingdom people do, and band, if you guys would come up, the third thing I think kingdom people do, and I'm saying this because all over the scriptures this uh, this is talked about, kingdom people feast. Can I get an amen? (laughs) King of people feast. We are a feasting people you know, uh, the season of Easter tides, which is the season of the historic church calendar that we're in right now, is a 50-day period between Easter and Pentecost, and it's traditionally experienced as, as a season of feasting, right? So in, during Lent, we fast, right? Maybe you're uh, you're somebody who takes on that practice, but during Easter tides, we feast, right? We celebrate the goodness of a, of a resurrected king. It's a powerful thing. And All throughout the New Testament, when when Jesus wants to talk about what the kingdom of God is like, do you know what he always uses as an example? Feasts, feasts. Sometimes they're marriage, sometimes they're wedding banquets. Sometimes they're just regular old feasts. In Luke 14, specifically, Jesus gives a teaching of the parable of the kingdom, and he says, "What the kingdom is is this gathering of people." It is this feast of the people of God who are gathered together. And it's no surprise then that when Jesus wants to institute this new people, when he wants to gather the people of God around and he wants to tell them who they are and and how they are to be in the world, do you know what he does? He institutes a feast. He institutes a feast. Now this feast, the table of communion, is not a feast in all, of its, uh, in all of its heavenly significance, is it? We're told in the scriptures that this feast that Jesus institutes, this table that Jesus invites us to, is just a foretaste, is just a precursor to the feast that comes when the kingdom of God comes in its fullness. And so when we participate in the feast in the of communion when we participate in the celebration of the lord's table what we do and this is what paul says right when you when you partake of this meal what do you do you proclaim the lord's death what until he comes this feast is a foretaste of the reality of the, of the feast of the kingdom of God that is coming towards us in the person of Jesus. And when we, and when we sit at table together and when we receive this meal together, we witness to the reality of who God is, is in the world. You know, communion is like our pledge of allegiance, right? It's like the way that we communicate to the world that we serve a higher order, the systems and structures of this world but rather we serve king jesus and one of the things that always gets me is that when we celebrate communion it's it's solemn right it's a solemn and spiritual event usually but it is supposed to be a foretaste of the joy and the jubilance of feasting in the kingdom of god right and so there are times for the solemn reflection, but there are also times as we reflect on the death and resurrection of Jesus and we await his second coming that we look with joy in our hearts, knowing that we are part of this kingdom. We are advancing this kingdom. We are participating as kingdom people, and we get to step in to the kingdom of God in our own little way as we live as citizens of this kingdom and as we partake of this meal together. We just get the tiniest foretaste, the little bit of a a grace glimpse of what it will mean to sit at the great banquet table of our Lord and to be told that you belong to this family. Come have a meal. And so today, I wanted to celebrate this meal together with all of us. it would be fitting right if christians are to be feasting people and we are to be feasting people in the real sense of the in the literal sense of the term too christians are supposed to be people who throw good parties just fyi right we are supposed to be people who gather people around our tables and eat good food we are supposed to be people who uh, learn to revel in the glory of king jesus Christians are not supposed to be staid and boring people. All right, it's just not. It's just not who we we were created to be. It's not who we were created to be, and it's not the future that we're that is headed towards us in the person of Jesus. That's just not the future that Jesus is bringing near us. The future that Jesus is bringing near to us is far more like a wedding feast than it is like a staid church service. And so today, as we receive. Uh, together. Uh, Paul, when he was teaching a wayward and really broken church in Corinth, what it means to receive this meal together, says this. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Would we take the bread? And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. And here it is. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's receive the cup together. Join me as we pray. Father, we love you. And we're so thankful that you've called us out From amongst the peoples of this world that you've made us a part of your family that you've made us your own and that you've made us kingdom citizens in this new uh, this new family this new kingdom that you are building and so god as we receive this this meal together as we come to the table of communion together today can you help us to remember who we are and what you've called us to do that you've called us to live in the rhythms of your grace that you've called us to be kingdom citizens in the midst of the world that you've called us to gather together as the place where the spirit of God rests and would we be active recipients of both the invitation to participate with you in the kingdom of God as creative citizens of this kingdom but may we also be active recipients of your grace and of your love today. Would you make us, would you root us, would you put our feet down firm, would you establish us in in your love, that we might know, that we know, that we know, that we belong to this King Jesus. So would you stand with me this morning, just as a response to God this morning, we want to sing one more time, and as we sing, let's keep in mind, we are the temple, the place where the Spirit of God rests. Give you praise, God. We give you glory. We give you praise. Amen. 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 You sound good, guys. Jeesh. jeez Yeah. Amen. Amen. Well, thanks for being with us today. And as you scatter today, as you scatter, know that you scatter as the people of the kingdom. You scatter as people of the kingdom, kingdom people out in your little own corners of the world. Would you go today? in the grace and in the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.